0: I'm Josh Cooperman, and this is Convo by Design, recorded in the Living Kitchen Studio. Jamie Bush, born in Long Island to a family of dairy farmers, photographers, artists, and designers. He studied art and architecture in New Orleans and Italy, receiving his Master's of Architecture from Tulane University, and then, of course, he headed to L.A. uh, to put it all into practice. Because this is where that happens, Right. Jamie Bush is among the distinguished AD 100 and El Decor's A list, but you already know that. What you probably haven't heard are the stories of discovery, trial, and failure, experience, and ultimately finding the joy in design and architecture that propels Bush to strive for his look, his style, the feeling he looks for in a space, and then crafting that space to match the way he feels. It should look. This is about finding one's place in the world and that magical skill of helping others determine what it is they want in a space and finding congruent between those two. And then finding congruency between those two things. And we're going to talk about the boat, the house. I mean, I I can't do this justice, so I'm just going to let him... Uh, tell the story, it comes at the end, the boathouse, which is absolutely amazing, as as was the rest of this conversation. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed my time with Jamie, and I hope you do too. This is architect, designer, and incredible talent, Jamie Bush. Convo by Design is presented by Snyder Diamond, our sponsor, known in Southern California for providing amazing service and world-class products, like those from Sub-Zero, Wolf, and Cove. Here you have a company that is laser-focused on helping homeowners be their very best in the kitchen with refrigeration that provides proper food preservation, ovens and ranges that provide precision in food preparation, and Cove dishwashers that can handle any mess. Sub-Zero, Wolf, and Cove appliances are stunning to look at, in too many sizes and styles to list here, but it's also what's on the inside. The tech inside these appliances has been tested crafted and worked to razor-sharp precision, allowing for exactly what your clients want. Precise and predictable results in the kitchen. That's what you get with Sub-Zero, Wolf, and Cove. And you will find the full line of each at all three Southern California Snyder Diamond locations. You can also see the newly designed living kitchen in the Santa Monica and Pasadena showrooms. I was excited to talk to you. Like I said, I um, I saw most of the panel that you did with Nate at uh, Legends this year. Mm-hmm. Have you done Legends before?
1: Yes. I've usually done... Well, I've done Windows for two previous years. You have. Yeah. Like, And I usually split, take a year or two off in between uh, just because it's a big time commitment. But I honestly love window design. Well, because I came... Coming from New York and where it's such a tradition of like... Window design was a serious thing, you know, because you have pedestrians and especially holidays, and so you know, Christmas windows are such a huge thing. And I also going to Bergdorf's and and any of these like fantastic jewelry shops. I mean, it was a seriously uh, a very considered artistic endeavor, and that's not really that considered in LA because it's a car culture, so people don't really slow down and sort of walk. But I thought it was the one opportunity here where you have this vitrine, this limited space where you can create something magical um, in these confines. And I loved it. I mean, I did two different windows two different years. One year I did six windows, I think it was, uh, because it was circulating around a store. But um, yeah, but it's a big, if you take it seriously, it's a big time commitment, and so I have to parse it out. I get that, and you have to take that seriously. Some people don't you know let i
0: me, let me rephrase yeah, if you want it to be good,
1: you have to take it seriously, yeah, whatever you do. I mean, if you bake a cake and you want it to be an amazing cake, you put the time and effort into it and so we always did, like we and it wasn't so much promoting the business per se, it's more you know. Uh, it it's a free for all fantasy sort of moment that you could interpret this thing, whatever the theme is, and make something magical and hopefully memorable and uh, and um, and I loved it. I mean, I, I it's something that is a treat for me, but um, but exhausting at the same time. I can
0: imagine it is, and to, and to do it in such a small space. Yeah, and I mean, look, let's be honest designers, architects, your creatives. It's not that you don't want people to see the work, of course you want people to see the work, but you want, to, you want people to see the work under, under your, in, in your terms, and when you get published, to see the work the way that, that it's viewed through your eyes with a photographer. What's so interesting, and I love Legends, and I love LCDQ, I love that the district, the quarter, it's walkable. Mm-hmm. I grew up here, you know, mm. so it is a car culture, and you drive everywhere, but to be able to get out of the car that must have that must have been a little like being at home for you
1: yeah, and it's it is my office used to be right on Lascia guess, so it was a very neighborhood thing for me as well, where I felt that it was um something that i wanted to participate in but i felt that it was communal you know these were all my friends and neighbors that were uh hosting or participating and so it felt like um uh a natural extension uh but it was also something where in a perfect world it sort of questions what a limited space or a window or sort of uh a um a how how people think about things without a client, uh, which is such an interesting thing because in our industry, it's client driven. So really, everything that you see, unless you're at, even at the very tippy top of your game, uh, it's always it's always a service business for somebody that you're you're performing a certain task for. Which sometimes makes things better, but other times gives you a lot of limitations. So it is interesting to see what people do when they're given free reign to a certain extent.
0: It's true, isn't it? And it's just like it's like a design house or a showcase house or uh, backing up a little bit. So you hung your shingle in 2002?
1: Yes. About then?
0: Yeah. So before that, Marmal Ratzinger, rats in Rassin, her um, Kelly so you worked you did some time in those studios hmm one of the things I love about the industry is giving back a little bit how you know not many not many industries still have that you know work under tutelage under learn from right you know you you get to learn at the feet of I was I was listening again back to back to legends I was listening to Bunny Williams talk about um, working for Parrish Adley, and learning the things mm-hmm. that she liked, and learning the things that she didn't like. Right. For you, what was what was that experience like, and what did you learn that you liked, and did that? How did that refine? How did that experience refine the the type of creative that you wanted to be?
1: Well, uh, originally I was trained as an architect, so I studied and I practiced a little bit in New York and then really came out here and one of my first jobs was with this architect Bob Hale who was running Frank Gehry's office and just left and started uh, his own little practice and we went to the same university together so that's how I found him and I knew nothing I was absolutely useless I'm surprised I didn't get fired I didn't know how to do anything and. That sort of just opened my eyes a little bit to what L.A. had to offer, and how to run a small business, and how, it was really small, there was like three of us. Um, uh, And then I eventually went to Marvel at Zener, which was an amazing time for me, again, knowing very little. You know, I mean, when, when you come out of school, design school, if it's architecture school or design, you really don't know any practical, or at least I didn't, any practical sort of experience things. I mean, they teach you design, but not to really be an employee. And so, at Marlar Zener, I was still super green, um, but I was coming in at the tail end of when they were finishing uh, the Kaufman House, Richard Neutra's house in Palm Springs. They just uh, worked on Raymond Loewy's house, uh, um, a restoration of that, and so some other really getting a foothold in in becoming these arbiters of mid-century true restoration and uh, really building a huge clientele at that time. And um, it was a great experience for me. I, I just felt that it was a bigger firm. They were really sort of, uh, crafting their aesthetic at that time. Um, and, and gave me a window into a design aesthetic that is a language. I really believe that Marlar Ed Zener sort of created a language that's it, it's not necessarily groundbreaking, but very a refined California aesthetic that is recognizable. And that was interesting to me. And all along as I was doing that, I realized that I wasn't necessarily cut out for being a pure architect. I really just didn't have the appetite or the, the talent or the stomach for it. You know, I was, and I left there with a couple guys from Marlowe Zener. We started our own firm and building things ourselves and remodeling stuff. and, um, doing everything wrong, like not knowing how to run a business, and um, but but surviving. Like we had some projects and we did some things, but I realized in California it's really difficult, it's super challenging to be an architect with uh, ever-changing codes and energy restrictions, and it's it's highly technical. And I could have done well if I just stuck it out. Maybe, but I do, we were working on a house in the hillside in the Palisades and we had, uh, neighborhood ordinance. We had coastal commission to deal with. We had, um, caissons and these sort of like, uh, uh, foundation backfill issues. And there was so much, and, and it, to me, it took the joy out of the creative process and I realized at that point, you know, growing up in a family that was really co- a group of collectors, people that really collected um, and, and uh, uh, appreciated sort of objects and design. I realized I was leaning more toward uh, furnishings and I started to be a picker. I really started to sort of buy and sell mid-century things at flea markets and secondhand stores and and learning about mid-century modern design that was really foreign to me because it wasn't something I grew up with I grew up in a 1850s Greek revival home with you know Chippendale furniture and things like that Um, and it was I was just obsessed and so um, I started getting into that and then I threw my partner at the time he was teaching piano to students of one of Kelly Worcester's clients and I really discovered her through through this woman who was her client and I just was blown away and so I started doing a design interior design on my own. I had one project I completed, and I realized I didn't know what I was doing. And so I—I I never forget this. This. So I went to a birthday party of my friend who was her client, and I wrapped the present in this Chinese chinoiserie wallpaper. I used to buy all this wallpaper, and I'll never forget because Kelly came over and like smelled the wallpaper, like the glue in the back. She's like, "Oh my god, is that wallpaper?" and uh and then we started talking and became sort of friendly and then uh i don't know before i knew it i was working there and that was for me completely thrilling it was when she was working out of this bungalow uh in uh la just north of beverly and it was a magical world i mean she was beautiful and fearless and just uh funny and irreverent but sweet and with no fear just putting everything out there and you know some people don't like her design work other people covet it you know she's in some ways a controversial character because she has a very strong aesthetic um and i've so admired her and her journey and evolution because um it, she doesn't sit on her laurels and do the same thing over and over. I think she's constantly evolving. You know, she'll be working probably until she's dead in the grave. Like I think she's just an obsessive personality and sort of like has so many ideas. And I think 20 years from now she may be doing something completely different and I, and I and I learned so much about that courageousness and about los angeles's appetite for the new and for um for something other than um and which i don't find always on the east coast you know and i i I felt that la was such a fertile ground for um a new sense of sort of california modernism that was sort of like springing up at that time and and uh, very fortunately, you know, I was able to sort of uh, make my own way and start my own firm and um, and get some great work. And, and I just really credit a lot of those early experiences for like helping me on this, you know, journey.
0: It's really interesting too. And that, that journey, what I think is interesting, and it happens quite often, as a native Angelino, I've seen this, and I get it, and it happens over and over again, and I think people are surprised, and, and it's it's somewhat disrespected. You've been here a while. You've seen how this works. There is such a, call it an ephemeral nature to architecture and design, in Southern California in particular, because this is where people came to reinvent themselves. Mm-hmm. This is where yep. people of all kinds come to reinvent themselves. and And there's just sort of this this welcoming attitude where you can come out here and you can try something ridiculous and stupid. And you know what? It may be great. And then you learn something or it may be ridiculous and stupid. In which case people won't laugh at you. They'll laugh with you Mm. and then it goes away.
1: And then you try something else. I I completely agree. I, I coming from the East coast, there's a, I've always found that there's a more learned, um traditional sense of sort of how to make it and the proper channels and facilities and sometimes you throw something out there it doesn't do well you're done and i feel like you could move to la and be you know running a car dealership and all of a sudden you start making you know side tables and somebody sees them and like doesn't know who you are, but they like it. And then all of a sudden you start like selling in a shop like that. There's a, an unbelievable acceptance here. And, and I feel that because we're not, uh, it, it's not this sort of staid attitude of like provenance and about being a slave to history and sort of tradition. It sometimes produces horrendous things the worst god awful like monstrosities but it also allows the freedom for experimentation so you get inspired things created and and it it allows for failure um and i think that's why la's become so dynamic because you know uh, you screw up something fails you're not done you know you might have three more chapters or 17 more chapters or you try something else uh, uh, I completely agree with that and I feel that it, at least for me it helps me experiment because I don't have fear that well if it doesn't work out you know it might uh, you're not done with <laughs> hopefully
0: yeah no it's so true but it, what's really interesting too is if, if you go if you go up 300 miles you know if you go to San Francisco attitude is totally different yeah it's not the same. It's not. You
1: can't do it. No, it's you know it. It's funny. The I love San Francisco. It's a beautiful place. It's, um, I think, more attuned with an East Coast, a slight East Coast attitude. It's more conservative. Oh yeah. Um, but there's also sometimes a higher taste level because of that. You know yeah. when you you know uh, the thing about education is that it's amazing but sometimes it's stifling because the more you know sometimes you become uh, uh, almost overly educated and then you get paralysis you're afraid of doing the wrong thing or not following in the footsteps of the right pathway Um, and i feel that not that i'm i'm a proponent of lack of education but i think that that i that um, it, unless you just throw yourself in the pot and start doing something, sometimes, you know, it's it's too stifling, too much education sometimes is like not a good thing. You know, you have to, to to make things, I believe you have to be like in the weeds and, and trying to do stuff and things don't work and then you try something else.
0: I was, I was just going to jump onto that and just say that, you know, out of panic comes opportunity. Mm -hmm. You know, when, like you said, when you're in the weeds and you're panicked to try to figure out how to do something is sometimes when that aha moment comes, I was just going to ask you though, from that, you know, success can be stifling as well. Yeah. If you achieve success, if you become really, really well known and popular in any creative endeavor,
1: um, you know, in music
0: it's, it's always the second album,
1: mm-hmm. right? But Yeah. Yeah. You might like, it might be a flop. Yeah.
0: yeah. In design, you know, here in Southern California too, trying new things and doing something stupid for stupid sake or, or trying something that's never been done simply because you want to see what will happen or what people will think of it. Mm. You know, turning, turning a motel on sunset into an art installation that's completely painted white. Interesting. I'm in I'm, you know, I I live out in the South Bay and in Manhattan Beach Someone had the emoji house where it was pink with a couple of smiley face emojis painted on it Incredibly stupid made the neighborhood go nuts, right?
1: yeah, no, I'm sure got attention. Yeah, it does. I know We're working on a project right now that um, really energetic super fun clients that are pushing us Um, Almost beyond a comfort zone of like in a creative way in a, in a, uh, the house is in some ways going to be way over the top. Um, And I honestly don't know if it's going to fail. It may be like horrendous. I, you know, we don't know. And, and it's, it's unsettling and it's thrilling and it's, and, and it's forcing us to get out of our comfort zone because we're doing something that we haven't done before uh, in in big ways, like big, bold, sort of graphic, colorful ways, uh, and it may not be good. It really might, and um, and there there we're all in it together, and um, I don't know. You know, we're the <laughs> you know, it's something where I I'm very grateful for it because, um, it to me it keeps me interested in this industry um rather than i, I don't want to make widgets and just do the same thing over and over again to me that's not interesting personally you know for what i want to make and create you know i always want to sort of like try new things and not that i won't ever repeat something or like there's not something that works that really you know it it is that balance of like making sure it's comfortable and sort of visually proportionate and and uh, and at the end of the day if it's a residence, like livable for those clients, but at the same time um, I do find Los Angeles in particular incredibly forgiving for uh, you know, for experimentation And I'm just curious too, so New York is home
0: if I if I've got this correct family we've got dairy farmers yes, we've got are. we've got creatives mm-hmm. a, of different types yeah but we've got a we've got a solid deep foundational base on the east coast in in New York yes so what brings you out here you, and I, and I say that because you, you love windows. We talked about that. You, you love, right. you, you love the, the style. You love what that means. You love getting out of, out of your car and walking and looking and, and being able to see design. And I can tell being immersed in it, right? Being around it yeah. as opposed to here in LA where, and I, and I hate to put it this way, but sometimes it's, it's kind of like being at the wild animal park, you know, you're in the car and you're driving by looking right, at right. everything. It's not, yeah. it's not real. You're just driving through it. Right. Right. But why the move? What, what, what made the change?
1: There really were there were two reasons. One, my education was um, in modernist architecture, and um, that was what I was schooled in. That that's what my interest lays in. And in the states at the time, I I graduated in '94, and um, and New York. Didn't really have uh, much going on when, as far as residential modernist architecture, um, it you know it, it's much more of a traditional city, and you either are doing skyscrapers or like the interior of an apartment, um, where LA really had, at the time for me, this sort of like uh, this incredible deep well of historical mid-century architecture but also uh, a whole school of of modernist architects building things and that excited me so I had a friend out here who was an artist she was living here and so I had one friend and I just figured I'd be here for a year or two and try it out and and the other half of that is that you know I'm a really Uh, I'm sort of a farm boy I grew up at the beach I never wore shoes working in Manhattan felt um, uh, stifling to me I worked in Manhattan for a little bit but also I love the freedom that LA provided for sort of a cat more casual existence and I had a chip on my shoulder where I was I had family that could help me in business With connections and um, help me along my way, and I, I wanted no help because because I I always felt like I had to prove to myself that I could make it on my own without help, and if I got help, I wouldn't really know if I had the chops to do it on my own. Isn't that an interesting feeling?
0: That is funny, isn't it? Making it on one's own in the scariest way possible,
1: or failing catastrophically. (laughs) I didn't view it so much in the way that I might fail catastrophically because I was a kid. So, but I did. I I honestly felt that um, I I don't know I was gay and i needed to like sort of have my own experience and sort of be on my own and and figure things out sort of not under my family's uh eye and not that they were so oppressive and watchful it was more you know your own neuroses and sort of but also just wanting to experiment you know when you're young is the time to do it and just all my friends were artists and architects and living in Silver Lake and uh, everybody lived in these great old places and it was cheap and uh, fun and easy. L.A. was, you know, uh, 25 years ago, L.A. was really sort of uh, not so popular and um, and inexpensive and um, super playful and I had a great time. I mean... And I, it really shaped me to stay here, you know.
0: And someone who loves mid-century, someone who loves modernism, someone who loves that modern aesthetic, in Silver Lake, I love it. A couple of years ago, I went and toured the um, the vdl House, and you know, you're you're in there and you're looking at this this indoor-outdoor philosophy with with water to bounce off to the reservoir to sort of be on this like this ship-like motif in, in its design and you're looking at, at Silvertop and you're, it, it's the whole thing it's just it's almost like an amusement park it, mm-hmm. feel, it, it felt like a while yeah. back it's not yeah. really the same but it, you get the vibe yeah
1: and, and you know at the time when i was living there i didn't know anything you know i studied a little bit of these guys in school but but i had friends that rented Neutra houses or had lived in schindler apartments and for no money you know it wasn't that popular They were just architects and artists you know they weren't collectors or people with any money um so i got to really know them through the eyes of my peers rather than a textbook or or in magazines per se so that was really a a window of like discovery for me which was thrilling and um and it just felt right to me you know and um and again i think everybody's experience is different but but it had a very profound experience on me where you know we we've done a lot of mid-century sort of homes and that aesthetic but that aesthetic of of mid-century design to me was always about a sense of optimism there's a playfulness there's a serious playfulness about it and um and not just in the states you know but sort of you know in europe and sort of um uh but i i really feel like post-war design was sort of a breath of fresh air because people could sort of breathe again. And the war was over. P- manufacturing started up you know in a major way, and people were riffing on these sort of new technologies. I mean, it was a very exciting time. But I really believe that that sense that positivity in the design work itself and the playfulness um, had such a impact of, on my work because it could still be taken seriously but there was a joy about it and uh and a surprise and uh and really being like uh uh these adults that are channeling their inner child and working with color and form and and silhouette and and in really a magical way and that's something that's you know, everybody sort of might categorize mid-century design in sort of like a uh a cliched sort of uh envelope you know of of this sort of like something that's pastiche but really when you boil it down i think those core sort of design uh philosophy and elements of, of where that all came from is incredibly profound and and i think so many contemporary designers are still channeling that energy and and um those forms now do you feel like the playfulness is gone, though? In design?
0: In modern, in particular. You know, mid-century, in modern in particular. I understand what you're saying, that, that serious but, but playful feels like, and this has happened really, I've, I've kind of seen it. You know, if you go out to modernism, which I'm sure, mm-hmm. it's, it's not as kitschy playful as, as it was not so long ago. And modernism in, in general, the way that it's viewed now, now it's popular now it's a thing now it's well respected and and it's it's perfect before it was still experimental but now it's very much popular again and and it's part of it's part of the it's part of the landscape in a serious and meaningful way Has, has it lost its playfulness or can you still have have fun with it
1: i think you can i mean i think you know it's hard to generalize with these things because everybody uh
0: yeah but you know what i mean like like in the um in the 80s Mediterranean here in Southern yeah. California I know it's <laughs> funny right
1: but no but it's it was a thing
0: it was a thing yeah with with the big corbels and and
1: yeah. peach right and
0: yeah very socal version of the Mediterranean yeah but it, it it was it was it was playful then it was silly then it got ridiculous mm-hmm. then it was like okay got it what's next right right you know what I mean yeah is is that do you Not is that happening right now, but do you see that as kind of like the process, as the way architecture in in particular is viewed?
1: You know, it's a hard question. I I think when anything gets popular, it gets bastardized in some form. You know, it's inevitable because everybody jumps on the bad wagon and riffs on it or makes reproductions or um, or commodifies it somehow you know and so there's definitely that aspect of it Uh, but I guess I find that there are designers who I look at that are um, still making very playful things that aren't reproductions or copies but like Pierre Janowicz the French interior designers does super playful furniture Um, there's people like um, uh, like the architect Barbara Bester, who you know almost builds these sort of monopoly uh, monopoly sort of piece like very elemental structures with like a big yellow door or like these broad gestural strokes that are that are that are whimsical but like but new and interesting proportions and sort of creating shapes, but. But definitely referential to, you know, the people that she looked to, you know, and studied from. And so I guess I don't get bogged down with like, you know, there's so much stuff out there. There's so much design all over the world. and I, um, But I do still find that uh, people that I admire and respect, um, a lot of them really do come from that. They do have a sense of play in their work.
0: It's funny, I had a conversation recently. Um, One of my favorite places is uh, Marfa, Texas. Mm, Yeah. And, you know, what Donald Judd did with with a a community, nothing short of amazing. And, you know, when you think of it, everyone will talk about the the Prada Marfa art installation. Or you could talk about the, the, the exteriors from Giant and the El Paradiso and... All of those things are there, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. What's also there is just this weird combination of, here's an here's an old adobe, an old original adobe with a, a completely harsh modern angled building attached to it, which just lo- it looks like somebody took two hands and two buildings that were separated by a mile each and just smashed them together. Mm-hmm and it's like wow that shouldn't be that way but it's really cool (laughs) right and i feel like you know that's the that's the feeling that just gets people so excited it gets me excited about architecture i i love that architecture and design that being said what motivates you what what keeps you excited to keep trying different things and keep trying new things that 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 spark to keep moving in a direction, regardless of what that direction
1: is. Um, uh, (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) There's so many things. I mean, I, I think I tend to be a reactionary person. So, um, more and more as I get older, I get more opportunities, which is amazing. And, I've realized like time is limited um, for the amount of uh, energy that you could put into things. So I, what I, what I, it's not a very strategic game plan, but I find that like, I try to veer myself in the office to things that allow us to mm, to do things that we haven't necessarily done before. So just recently we got invited to design a chair for a charity, charity auction. I've never designed a chair. Um, And there was a deadline. It was for a good cause. Did I really want to do it? No. And it scared the shit out of me because I'm just like, this might look terrible. Um, And we designed it and we got things donated, fabric and the, the uh, fabrication of it. But we did mock ups and you know, we put time into it. And it's not so much for the press, you know, it was a small little local charity, but it forced us to do something that we never did before as an office, you know, people in the office helped me, we sort of designed it together. And it turned out amazing, because it was, we created something that we never did before. And so things like that get me really excited that I feel that um, I wouldn't have done that if we didn't get that call, and so rather than being like, "Oh, I'm gonna come up with a furniture collection," it's more like this falls on the desk, and it sort of channels us to do those things. It's not the best business model, you know. I'm not the best businessman, but I like that happenstance because it's less calculated and it's a little more free flowing and. I don't know. That's, I I guess, I've had some success. You know, we're still open and we have work going on, so something's working
0: something is working and you know what else is working is your office it's fun I love doing this I love doing I love being able to record at people's offices instead of at the studio where everything is
1: it's a shit show here all the time if you can all see this (laughs) it's like a mad (laughs) mess everywhere
0: well I love it too because in addition to everything that's going on you've got pieces everywhere. You've got the libraries, you've got the swatches and the samples. And you've also got, you, you mentioned earlier that you become kind of like collector tinkerer mm-hmm. and there's, there's pieces in, in different, st- you know, in states of dis, very <laughs> yes, disarray. Yes. And it, it tells me that you're not just, you're not just working in one cohesive workflow, but that there's no. all kinds of things actually going on. And I'm, I, I'm wondering if, if that's, if that, keeps you interested all the time is that what is that what does it
1: yeah i think so i you know the
0: if it was easy you wouldn't be doing this anymore i get that feeling (laughs) i don't know you'd find something more
1: complicated probably i know we do complicate things the uh, i look we i've been lucky enough to have this extended family that you know uh, and I call this home, you know, all everybody that works here is like a family member and I've been really lucky to be surrounded by great people and, and, you know, I spend more time here than I do at home. So, it really becomes the home and, and it's, uh, when, when you're able to play and experiment and sort of like make things or put things together in new ways and, it's all about discovery and sort of surprises. and and there is like an organized chaos here, which i which I thrive on because it it forces us to, I believe, make the purest decisions. you know, where like when you have to go with your gut on a lot of things and you don't have too much time to ruminate or if you do ruminate over the, and they keep coming back, then you have to, like, start over and throw something out and redo things even if you lose money on it um it it, to me it's a very sort of uh organic like honest representation of the work because it's uh we we don't have the ability to to dwell over things too much um because we have a lot going on so it uh Um, uh, for me the way I like to operate is that it's that uh, it it forces it's exhausting but it forces the right decision making if that makes sense. Everybody has different styles you know and in some ways I would love to have one or two jobs a year but I don't know they might not turn out as well you know you might have too much time to think about stuff.
0: Isn't that amazing? Too much time to think about it might actually complicate it and make it worse make it worse
1: yeah it's amazing yeah
0: um and it was interesting too i i love that philosophy bunny williams said that when working for parish Hadley, that sister parish thrived and loved uh chaos and conflict Mm -hmm. and that's how she learned that that's not what she wanted right in her own office (laughs) and sometimes you have to you have to learn from that yeah totally and and that's really interesting Mm -hmm. and now you're in a position where you're giving back and you've got young people working around the office who for the most part, you can pretty much rely on the fact that, that some, if not all, who knows, will go out and eventually start their own.
1: Yeah. And they'll be like, oh my God, that office was a mess and that's not going to be my office and we're going to have all this structure and, um, uh, no, but it's true. Like it, it's so, I always wish I worked for some big, like a Gruen or, you know, uh, some enormous sort of firm to to see how the structure of these things work, even though it sounds like a nightmare to me. But just to get that experience, because I I was work for smaller firms that that you know had organization, but also winged it, and and um, and I don't know. I mean, we luckily I I now am at a point business wise where we have it's super professional and we have like all of the the um facilities and and backup to sort of make it run properly but um but it's weird that the art and commerce don't necessarily always align and um and it's a tricky dance between the two all the time
0: it is it's interesting too um i read somewhere that when you go home to new york you spend time living on
1: a boat yes so interesting it's, it's a houseboat but it's a boat fair enough yeah it's a, a craft <laughs> is,
0: and and what's my point what size is it
1: it's actually bigger than where i live now it's three stories okay wait a minute it's, this yeah, is completely yeah, yeah. blowing know, the whole it's image. a crazy thing yeah it's uh i think it's like 1400 square feet but it's dear um, god it's a boat it well it's a it's a barge actually okay all right but it's um it's a total fluke it's like my favorite place on earth to be honest it's like this dreamy floating house in this beautiful harbor overlooking wetlands and um and it rocks slightly and it's it's like this sort of wooden beach house uh surrounded by wildlife and um and really in tune with nature you know with with wind and storms and uh swans and seals and crabs and um it's just a, it's a very visceral place and it's the light's incredible it's really um it, it's this magical little place that i was able to fortunately buy for like nothing and remodel and sort of make a, make this magical escape too. And I might one day live there full time or something. It's just crazy.
0: With the with the remodeling, did you get to you made it something exactly what you wanted?
1: Yes. It's
0: exactly your aesthetic. It's the place where you want to live.
1: Yeah, but it's it's not done. It's never going to be done. But it's 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 uh, um we're constantly working on it and doing things to it. But it's very it's very personal because. It's where I grew up. And like my dad milled the wood for the countertops. It's like a beautiful place.
0: That's amazing. You know, and I think that that kind of of hits hits the point. And the point is, it's very easy to talk about aesthetic. Mm. And it's very easy to talk about style and design. At the end of the day, design as it is experiential it's personal yeah it's about where you live and about what's there and about whose heart and hand had a, had a had a, a play in it yeah and and because of that that's what makes whether it's finished or not
1: no i know it's never gonna be done
0: it, and and that's that's funny too you you say that with some confidence that it's never going to be done
1: yeah because well it shouldn't i well the weird thing about this industry is that the everybody is drawn to these sort of picture perfect vignettes that are uh completely in balance and harmony and um and i think you know i'm always the cobbler with no shoes because like for years, my mattress was on the floor, and I'd like broken level or blinds in the window. And like, that doesn't matter to me. The things that give me pleasure, personally, in my own home, are things that have a story about them. That, you know, an old friend who passed away, and I have their sparkly alligator in the corner, or Somebody that made me something that was a present for a certain time or a painting my grandmother made or things like that, that are still, if they're ugly, I'm not going to have them, but, but if they're, but, but that, that there's a story and a history and sort of a marking of time and in the houseboat, because it's where I grew up, the contractor I went to high school with, and he used to live in a houseboat and so he would drive up his boat in the middle of winter and like working on the side of it and and the guy who installed the fireplace is a he parasails and he parasails I see him like flying his parasail outside the houseboat and then the you know the people that planted the trees is my neighbor at my parents beach house and like it's a very personal thing to me at the same time very beautiful and um Peaceful. It's just, it, to me, that's the perfect combination because it's, it is beautiful, but there's, there's history and, and people that are meaningful to me behind the whole endeavor. I just love that. Hmm. I do. And I love the
0: story because, um, you know, you mentioned, you mentioned, um, about design, and I feel like I feel like social media has ruined design in, in some small way because everything does have to be perfect. Yeah, you know everything. There's nothing out of sorts. Everything's in its place, in a place for everything, and yeah. everything's perfect. There's never any dust, and there's never anything left out. It's right. like that's not real.
1: Yeah, well, it's sound bites, you know. And I think we have such an appetite for the 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 next most beautiful thing. And I will say, uh, it's always a balance, you know, I find things on social media that are completely inspiring, um, that i never would have known about or, or makers, like I've met a lot of craftspeople on social media that I that I would have never known, who now I work with, you know, so that it's a double edged sword. I mean, I think you find both but it is true because like the if there's a lot of meaning behind something but it's not the most beautiful image or if something is uh uh you know not um the most color corrected like uh, perfected uh imagery it it might not get much attention but you also i think with social media or instagram and all that stuff i think the most important thing is to do it for yourself and to put out there in the world what you like and what's important to you and eventually people the right people will sort of you know appreciate that you know because the end game i think with all of that stuff is to sort of Is about storytelling and sort of uh, Putting out there in the world like your personal Aesthetic and interests and it's not about how well responded it is, you know, it's like um, uh, It's about the totality of sort of what your vision is
0: So I'm like way over the amount of time I told you I was gonna do this So I I just want you to know that I greatly appreciate your time. Yeah, Yeah, sure. Um at some point I I I do I do um I'm no- quitting. Mhm. <laughs>
1: I'm quitting. <laughs> <laughs> I do no no
0: I do a, a number of I do micro case studies on certain projects that I think are really interesting. Mm. So at some point I would really love to circle back with you um and do something just on on the on the houseboat. Oh yeah. Because it sounds amazing and I I'd love to know about the floors, and I'd love to know about your dad, mm-hmm. and I'd love to know about the guy down the street who, you know, did the did the landscape. Mm-hmm. I, I just it, it sounds it sounds amazing. Yeah. So, given an opportunity, I would. Mm, I'd love to circle back. Sure.
1: You. Yeah, it's the yeah. It's funny. I didn't. You know, with all of these things, I, I. And it's sort of how I approach design in some ways, where like I wasn't looking for a houseboat. You know, it's just sort of like came up and I think the best things in life a lot of times are, are those happy mistakes or, you know, uh, opportunities that are sort of like staring you to the face that, that um, are improbable or nonsensical in a, in a, in a way, you know, th- this thing doesn't make any sense and thank God because it's otherwise it wouldn't be as special as it is, you know? know?
0: That's the greatest. And, And the last thing I will say is I find it amazing because you have obviously an emotional connection to a property. And I can't think of anyone better to have an emotional connection to a property than someone who is a architect designer who is, who is, working with clients to create that same type of connection mm-hmm. for them. Yeah. I, I, I just, I feel like, and I know you've seen it, you've seen it is sometimes people are just connected by the business mm-hmm. and it's, you know, it's a project. We work on the project. We're finished with the project. Yeah, we yeah. move on to the yeah. next project and not everyone can really feel that emotional connection. And I feel like when you can, that's where heart and hand, that's where the difference is.
1: Yeah. Yeah i know and it it as a business model it's difficult because all this requires time so you know the i find the most interesting places you know that we get to visit or occupy you know sometimes it's generations of of people living in a in a spot or you know this like 17th century grotto that like then became a restaurant or you know that that uh, time you know not, not to say something new and fresh can't be meaningful but i but i think that um it's the, the people that you encounter and those experiences that sort of give meaning to things so and and i think all that stuff it does it it, it just takes time to to make it To have a story and to make it special um and that's something that you really can't buy
0: it's true um and this was really special for me and i appreciate your time sure thanks my pleasure thanks i told you about the boathouse right is that just cool or what um i want to see it i mean i saw it but i want to go there I want to see it in person is what I meant to say. Jamie Bush, thank you very much for taking the time to sit down with me. That was thoroughly enjoyable. Um, And thank you. Thank you for listening. Uh, Thank you for sending emails. Thank you for downloading. Thank you for following us on social, leaving the reviews and ratings on iTunes and other podcast platforms. Without you, there is absolutely no point in doing this podcast. Um, Without you, there really is no ConvoBite design. So thank you. Thank you very much. And, um, Until next week, keep creating. Convo by Design is proud to be working with Vendôme Furniture. Their design culture is the key to their success. It's what pushes them to consistently create new collections that give spaces a new dimension. They create dialogue between environment and form. Vendôme pieces can transform the simplest space into one filled with glamour that is both unique and extraordinary. And isn't that what design is all about? Creating atmospheres where you can take hold of life and enjoy it to the fullest. Vandam products are simple and elegant, contemporary and exceptionally comfortable. Their crafted modern durable molded resin, glass, and metal designs are unique. They beg to be enjoyed. Have you seen them featured in our videos? Check out our YouTube channel and see this for yourself. You can also find them in their showrooms at the d and building in New York, Wynwood in Miami, and the Pacific Design Center here in Los Angeles or online at Vandam.com.